takes a tremendous amount of humility to let your client kind of lead. We're just kind of helping them run experiments to figure out what serves their best interests. So like coaching for me is one of the, the, the blessings of learning that skill set. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Howie, how are you, pal? I'm good, Glenn. Good to see your face. Yeah, likewise. Actually, well, I mean, seeing it through the medium of Zoom again, we're still not hanging out, but, you know, you take what you can get these days. Right. Well, I was listening to that uh, uh, Esther Perel video you sent me. Yeah. Different ways that people can connect now. Yeah. What we could, you know, how we can make up for it. So, yeah. Very appreciative of this. Yeah, definitely. She's a deeply underrated, I think, Esther Burrell, for those of you who've never come across her. She's like, she works in the realm mostly of like relationship and sex psychology and stuff like that. But just um, she uses those as a window on human experience as a whole and just a deeply, deeply intelligent person. Just one of those people that you you listen to and you're like, wow, how could you help wrap your head around this many different things and just keep them all front of mind and like all of the time? It's, it's uh, kind of awe-inspiring to me. Yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh... Especially these days, I'm finding like I'm gl- really glomming on to people whom I find kind and generous and mm-hmm. interesting. Like like more more than you know because I I have so much less contact with that sort of thing in flesh and blood day to day. So I'm uh, you know since it's really since you turned me on to Tyson, um, mm. I've been finding more and more people who are like oh well that sounds like Tyson too and oh that's another perspective and oh that's so cool and you know just. Uh, We've talked about like it's really hard to be sort of kind and generous and positive a lot of the time. And so when I find someone, I'm like, you know, Marty McFly in Back to the Future, like, you know, grabbing to the, grabbing onto the, the tail <laughs> truck with my, my little uh, skateboard. So I'm going to follow them. Nice, timely analogy. We just watched all those movies with my uh, eight-year-old son. I've been just giving him the full 80s movie education that he absolutely loved Back to the Future. It's funny, it's funny some of the things just don't translate all that well, and they're just really dated. But um, And you would think Back to the Future is very dated, right? Because it has us in the future of 2015 wearing like inflatable Nikes and flying around on hoverboards, which hasn't quite materialized. But it's um, but yeah, but it holds up really well just as a story. You know, like uh, eight-year-olds apparently still think it's as awesome as I did when I was eight. So, <laughs> pro tip if it's not too late do not show him risky business oh okay got it yeah i wasn't planning on that for like another six years or so but yeah noted <laughs> i made that mistake with mike said, this is a really funny movie <laughs> <laughs> never mind forgot about the dark undertones there yeah things go <laughs> nice oh okay so um so on the subject of trying to be better people and trying to learn from better people, right? And I think a lot is being made at the moment, especially in the midst of the pandemic and everybody kind of struggling to find some meaning through it all and be like, we're going to learn from this adversity and we're going to become better people and grow, right? There's, there's this big kind of personal development push of everybody trying to get you to be your best self and um, you know emerge from this even stronger than you were before. There's a counter argument, which I'm quite fond of actually which is just like it's a pandemic you know cut yourself some slack give yourself some grace and just uh, let's work on keeping ourselves on the baseline of kindness and generosity and things rather than just being you know improving yourself through it all the time if you can do the latter great um i'm really interested in this kind of intersection between attempting to do better yourself right or or committing yourself to the intent of being a better person and improving yourself self-development whatever that means to you however many of those books you've read in the barnes and noble entire section now that's devoted to that and not being an asshole right so there's definitely a venn diagram in which there's like a crossover area in the middle um and i'm very conscious of this even as somebody who hosts a podcast and pontificates on the right and wrong ways to do things i try not to say things are right or wrong but we are talking in generalities about um, you know, ways of doing things that might be suboptimal and ways that might help, right? So I run a podcast that talks about um, how to do better in terms of managing stress and your emotional state, how to maintain your body in a better state um, so that you don't do yourself damage or self-sabotage. You're constantly talking to people about um, how to manage lifestyle issues, how to not get sabotaged by modern society and forget about the benefit of plants and the benefit of plant-based um diets and eating and just kind of uh, as 
exercise and just maintaining some sort of balance perspective in your life, um, which puts you in tune with the environment and the people around you, right? So we're both in the business of telling people how to do things sometimes, right? And there's definitely a risk of going beyond the helpful and the generous and the enthusiastic about your own developments and the own things that you feel that you want to pass on and being an asshole, right? Just being so convinced that your way of doing things is the right way, whether that's you as a vegan, whether that's me as a Sistema instructor, right? Or what do you know what I mean? Or anywhere in between. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm told that vegans do that sometimes. So I know that's a sweeping generalization. But <laughs> I was on a podcast uh, with a, a vegan podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, mm. one of the things I've learned is like, I could be wrong. She's like, no, we're not wrong about being vegan. I said, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still behind it. I, don't, I haven't found anything better, but like, mm. wrong. Like, I don't, like just having that little, you know, molecule of humility. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it can be challenging for people when, when they don't want you to. Yeah, I think it can. And I think therein lies one of the first things that I want to talk about. And that's, I think the path to avoiding that side of the Venn diagram, right? Or venturing into the middle of it um, and being an asshole partly lies in just making sure you know who it is that you're talking to and what their experience is and just allowing the possibility that there's truth in their belief, however, however abhorrent or wrong you think it is, you know, from your objective viewpoint of reading a lot about it or acquiring years of experience and expertise. Do you know what I mean? So there's some reason why you think you're right and the other person's not quite right, right? Or you're more evolved than them or something like that. And if you come to it only with that viewpoint, it all but guarantees that you'll be an asshole at some point, I think, right? Whether you're talking about martial arts and like what's the best way to fight somebody, whether you're talking about, um, you know, diet and what's the best diet for you, what's the best exercise plan, you know, what's the best way to deal with stress, right? If so for, for example, I run these, you know, workshops, very effective, stress-proof online courses now as well, you know, multi-week courses where I'm facilitating and talking to people. And I work with people from different backgrounds and roles, right? And it's very different when you're talking to somebody who has an average nine to five job um, and you're telling them about, you know, you should really try to batch your tasks, like emailing into smaller bits so that you don't frame switch all the time and cause stress in your nervous system because you're constantly flicking between different roles and things that you should be doing. Um, you should try and introduce little movement snacks into the day so you're not sitting still for eight hours a day and your limbic system thinks you're hiding from something, right? <laughs> you, should, you should try to make some time for breath work and make some time for movement, which will help to modulate this kind of buildup of chronic stress in your body. So there's all these general things I can give people. And then I'm talking to like a 911 call center operator who's forced to sit still for 12 hours a day that can't leave their desk in case somebody dies, right? <laughs> when they're called back again and um, and faces very different challenges or maybe they even work shifts and they, you know, they don't get to protect their perfect sleep schedule because they do four days on, four days off. And some days they're working from, you know, midnight until six in the morning or something like that, you know? So th th you have to be very aware of somebody's individual experience before you start prescribing a one size fits all formula to what's the best thing for them. And maybe the same thing applies. I don't know when you're giving people advice in, in diet, right? I'm sure you have general guidelines and principles of things that will help people, but do you come to it first with like, where are you at and what, what are your challenges? Well, that's the challenge of writing a book is that you can't know, right? So mm. you bomb it from on high and you try to be as useful and kind as possible, but really the, the rubber meets the road in coaching where, mm. You know, and the, like I've taught probably a hundred basically vegans how to be coaches. And the mm. hardest part is we don't know the answer, right? Mm. We, because we don't know, first of all, what they're eating, what their life is like, who else is in their family, um, what their ethics are, mm -hmm. and what's going to be better for them, right? Like, we, like it takes a tremendous amount of humility to let your client kind of lead and mm. we're, we're just kind of helping them run experiments to figure out what serves their best interests. So absolutely like coaching for me is one of the, the, the blessings um, of learning that skill set is it kind of forces me to be humble mm. and it forces me to be empathetic at, at a, at a really deep level because the minute, because you can tell it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's exactly like Sistema in terms of you can feel my resistance. Mm -hmm. 
and we were trying to do a drill, a pushing drill or pulling or something. The minute I resist, you can tell. And the minute you res you have resistance, that's not efficient motion. You can, you know, it's, a, you can tell. Yeah. You feel, and you can tell for yourself, like, Oh, I'm holding here. Yeah. I need to, you know, relax the hips. I need to breathe out. I need to do something. And coaching is the same way. The minute there is, I have an agenda above and beyond my client. There's that glitch. Mm. They're going to, you know, they're going to be mostly polite about it because they're good people and they're kind. And, but, but there's going to be that resistance. It's like, Oh, now, I don't, now it's hard. Now I'm not sure what to do in the same way that when I'm trying to grapple you and it's not working, my in instinct is to go harder. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As, that's so you so you have to come at it first of all from this openness, right? You have to come in with an openness to wanna kind of listen first and and then prescribe, if at all, right? Um and that's definitely easier in coaching because you have a pre-made dialogue. That's what it's based on. You you agree to do that as the coach and coachee, right? From the beginning, you're like, here's how this works. I'm not gonna tell you everything to do. I'm gonna listen to you, we're gonna figure out solutions together. And that's what we do as a coach, whether it's a diet coach. Uh, exercise coach, stress coach, a martial arts coach, right? That we're all kind of doing the same thing to an extent. Do you ever come across this though, just to play devil's advocate, right? That people sometimes are just waiting for you to tell them something to do, right? And if you don't give them the framework and if you're like, hey, let's figure out solutions together, like the therapist, you know, you go to talk to a therapist about your problems and they're like, what do you think's the problem? I'm like, I'm kind of paying you $200 an hour to figure out what my problem is. And you start talking about things, you're like, blah, 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 blah. And you get to the end of a few hours. I'm reliably informed anyway. This is how it goes a lot of the time. Um, and then at the end of it, you're like, what did they do besides listen? And then maybe after an hour and a half, like prod, like a, a one size fits all kind of Zen koan into my head so that I could contemplate my own problem. You know, all they really did was help me steer my own problem. Do you, do you find that there's frustration sometimes where people are like, look, just give me the framework and then we can talk about the, the exact thing we've got. Yeah, no, I give advice all the time. Mm. The, tr the trick is to give advice and, and, and offer them the opportunity to respond to it. Right. Mm. Like, but I have, something's coming up for me. I want to, I want to throw this out and see what you think, or mm -hmm. here's what here, you know, I have an idea about what you could do here. Would you, are you, are you, would you like to hear it? Mm -hmm. right? Like as long as, as long as they are in control, mm -hmm. they will not resist. You can say, you know, and sometimes the best thing is when they say, no, that would never work. Mm -hmm. now, now we've got some, now we've got something to work with. Now you got some meat. Yeah. Cool. Why would that, why, why wouldn't that work? What about that wouldn't work? Mm. Now you're like, okay, so that was, so now they hear themselves talk and they say, and very often at that point they go, oh, well, I could do it this way. Mm. Right? So the, the presumption is that other people are smart and if they have really sticky problems, they've probably been wrestling them with, with, with them for a while and some quick, easy, obvious solution that's obvious to you, they've mm. already thought. Mm. So, you know, there's there's so many reasons as a coach to like, you know, we're 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 well educated, you and I, which means we have had thousands and thousands of opportunities to prove how smart we are mm. in classes, in tests, in exam, you know, in examinations, uh, defenses. Mm. It gets to be a habit. Mm. And I think that's part of being an asshole is having to prove how smart I am. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I'm not, <laughs> how he's like, you could have said that a little bit less enthusiastically. No? <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly the kind of, a, no. <laughs> no I'm saying, that was a very deep uh, recognition of my own asshole tendency to do that as well. But in that, yes, just to clarify um, that way. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Yeah, and that's a definite root of it, right? And if you talk to people who train Systema for a very long time, They'll, they'll fall back on the idea that it's just a basic pride problem, right? The more you identify with your own ego and your own pride, um, and the less you attempt to cultivate humility, right? The more you'll fall into that trap. But I think that's helpful to a point, right? As an aspiration, you can aspire to be more humble and you can aspire to exhibit less pride. But like you said, it's a habit, right? If you spend a lot of years building up and testing your knowledge, testing your experience, testing your ability to tell people, teach the people about things. You've built up a lot of years of that habit and it's difficult to unlearn that. You can't just drop from that into pure humility 
my cup is empty. Do you know what I mean? Like learner's mind. And now watch me learner's mind with you. Right? It's very hard to drop from one to the other because there's stuff in there. There's stuff in there that, that thinks it's helpful. That it wants to come out. It wants to help people. It wants to give people advice, whether it's unsolicited or whether it's inappropriate or not. There's something in there. And it's not always from a place of crappy pride. Sometimes it's from a place of genuine intent to help people, but it's just misguided, right? It just comes out at the wrong time, right? Well, that's actually the book that, uh, that Peter Bregman and I are writing right now. Uh-huh. So yeah, t- tell us a bit about that. So that's um, how to change people, is it called? Yeah, how to change other people. Okay, so so what's the premise that you can't, and this the book is two pages long, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's three hundred pages, but it's mostly a journal. It's empty. Okay, <laughs> be on the same shelf as like for women, how to understand men, and for men, how to understand women, and <laughs> <laughs> just blank pages, three hundred. Yeah. So, so what's the um, so what uh, without like giving away the farm because uh, it's not published yet, right? It's coming out in a little bit. Like, what's um, what a, a few of the little precepts that you've come up with? In what ways can you help people or help to change people for their own benefit without being that asshole? Right. Well, the, so the first thing is, um, if you, like when we when we want to change people, it's usually because we're upset in some way, right? Either they're either they're being a dick to us in like. Hmm. Or they're, you know, a colleague isn't doing their work and we have to stay late. Or at home, someone is just being annoying. And I know that, you know, we don't do this, but our spouses are sometimes annoying. <laughs> yeah, we're never annoying to our spouses. I have that unreliable evidence from Mia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get into arguments about uh, <clears throat> child rearing and we just like, you know, you're not doing, you're not being your best. And so we, we want to speak up, you know, our, our, our default is like, let's not say anything. So when we do say something, it's usually because, you know, the, the thermometer has gone to nine or 10 and we're, you know, there's smoke coming out of our ears or mm. we're just really sad for them. Mm. See, it's, it hurts me to see you treating yourself that way. Yeah. Like, we have friends who, when we see are not taking care of themselves. Yeah. Uh, and they're, you know, they're depressed and they're sad and they're not going out and they're not reaching out. And we, you know, and and we f- and p- most of our urgency comes from a feeling like we have no control. Hmm. Right? So the feeling of no control contributes to that. And when and when you feel like you have no control, you want to reach for the the emotion of control, which is anger. Hmm. When I'm angry, I feel I feel powerful. Hmm. Right? Or I'm disappointed. Like I, I'm good at disappointment. I'm good at uh, passive aggressive anger. I'm I'm really disappointed in how you're doing. So, so, so what's the antidote for that? Do you, you just become more aware of what, of that surfacing and just be acknowledge that that's your tendency? And then... Well, you, I think, I think it's most of our tendency at that hmm. point. So yeah, to acknowledge it, because if we don't acknowledge it, no, no, I'm fine. Hmm. Right. And we gaslight and it's obvious as hell anyway, hmm. but to acknowledge it and then to do, um, not systema, but I guess, uh, jujitsu hmm. where you feel like, what's the value and this is something that Esther Perel was saying in that, in that video you sent me, that every mm. negative emotion is based on a positive value, mm. right? So I am upset at this behavior because I value X. I value your health. I value your happiness. I value collaboration. I value each of us. I value my boundaries, I, right? So to turn that into a positive, And so the first thing you want to do is empathize with yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I feel bad about this. I'm kind of pissed. I'm from a place of being pissed. I'm going to handle it poorly. I'm going to get the very resistance that I'm I'm, I'm trying to avoid. Hmm. And so, you know what? I am not a bad person for wanting this because, hmm. because here's a deep value of mine. So I think that's sort of step one. That's a, that's really fascinating because I see parallels in that. In, the, in both paths of, of, of what I do, right? So on, on the systema front, just physically, um, just immediately, the admonition that um, my instructors have given me is just that you have to first feel yourself. You have to first feel what's going on in your body, whether it's tension, psychological tendencies, emotional content, whatever that is. Your orientation, you orient yourself first, right? To the world and to the environment and what's going on. You feel yourself, then you can feel the other person. Right. Only once you've oriented yourself and felt yourself, 
do you have the capacity to feel somebody else and what they're feeling or truly understand them? And in that case, it's physically, literally feel them, like where their body's tense and where they're falling, where they're aggressive, what it's going to be. And then, and only then, can you start to adjust us, right? It, you, you change the whole system, right? You recognize that you're both in this kind of feedback loop. And then you don't try and manipulate the other person. You manipulate the connection between the two of you in order to produce an outcome, right? And, and that's the way that Sistema looks at it. And interestingly, in stress psychology, you have similar kind of principles with um, self-regulation and co-regulation, as like Porges would talk about it, right? There is no point in attempting to co-regulate somebody, be like, oh, hey, I'm going to help you out by making soothing noises and changing the tone of my voice and using different facial expressions to try and trick you into being calm if you're not self-regulated, if you're coming at it from a place of anger or irritation and your overwhelming motivation is to get you to shut up and stop complaining, right? <laughs> Instead of like to help you because I genuinely want to, because, you know, I care about you and all those things, right? Then you're going to come at it from the wrong place. You can only co-regulate somebody to the level that you've already self-regulated yourself, right? This is something I talk about in the, in the stress proof course. So you have to do that work on yourself first. And only once you've done that, can you progress to phase two, which is co-regulating, which in a way is what you're talking about, right? And like getting somebody to helping somebody or getting someone to change is a form of co-regulation. You're just changing their behavior instead of their diet or, or their body or something. Right? Entirely. Like this, the note I just jotted down was about, you know, forges and safety, polyvagal theory that, that, uh, so the you know, the next thing is like when when you're regulated to a place where you feel, you know, positive towards yourself, you then work on empathy towards them. Mm. Like everybody does things for good reasons. Sometimes they do terrible things for good reasons. Yeah, but they're trying to accomplish something. And so you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the underlying philosophy of nonviolent communication of Marshall Rosenberg. Mm. Um, which is uh, there's some there's basic human needs and almost every every human activity is is meant to achieve one of those basic valid human needs connection safety um, belonging yeah very various you know they're all positive and so when I'm at my worst I'm still trying in some tragic way to fill one of these positive basic needs. Mm. So look at the person who's doing those things. Why are they doing them? So, you know, if someone has a really bad habit, it's almost always a, uh, a defense mechanism against feeling a state. Hmm. Right. So I'm eating, I'm smoking, I'm watching, playing video games, I'm doing a lot of porn. It's all um, it's all to, you know, kind of distract me from an underlying state that I don't want to experience. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah, no one wants to be in pain. No one wants to suffer. Mm. Uh, so I, you know, yeah, I get why you're doing that. And I'm not blaming you for it, or I don't think any less of you for it. I think there are ways that you could meet those needs of not being in pain that would be in your <laughs> better interests. That's, yeah, that's, that's great. That's, um, that really ties in interestingly with that whole idea Remember, I think it was Lisa Feldman Barrett who wrote the book about how emotions are made. Did you ever read that one? I have about a 20 minute podcast interview with her. So I, I'm an expert. <laughs> you know, everything you've chatted. So it's fine. Yeah. It's a, yeah. The, the whole idea. I didn't actually talk to her. Oh, you listened to one. Sorry. Yeah. I thought you were. Yeah. Just the, the whole idea that, um, that emotions are constructed, like body states are constructed from a kind of soup of inputs, like physical sensations and then comparing it with past experiences, how you felt when you experienced similar sensations in the past, and then overlaying it with this kind of prefrontal cortex rider on the elephant, like, what should we do about this? And it's kind of, it's all kind of mashed together, right? Um, and you can pull out of that one concept, all of psychotherapy, like, all the psychoanalysis, and pretty much all of kind of embodied um, cognition, all kinds of things like that, right? But this idea that Often when we get into a series of behaviors, whether it's like binge eating or like staying up all night instead of going to bed because you kind of feel nervous and anxious about the next day or you think you're not going to sleep, so you just don't or whatever it's going to be, that often we blame ourselves for those crappy behaviors. Like I should do better. I should be a better person. I shouldn't be somebody who eats like a fat guy, right? Or I shouldn't be somebody who avoids exercise, right? You, you blame yourself and start to um, associate yourself with those behaviors for doing it. But sometimes what she calls it, I believe, is, some, is a brain body budget deficit, right? It's like over time, you've been maintaining this kind of stress state or you've been maintaining this imbalance that you don't like. 
in some way, right? You've been damaged, traumatized for a while, or you've just been experiencing chronic stress, like because of your work or because of a family situation or whatever it is that pushes you into that state. Then over time, maintaining that kind of yellow alert state and that constant sympathetic nervous system activation has a cost, right? It has an energy cost and that creates like an allostatic load. It creates like a deficit in your energy levels. And a lot of these behaviors are just an attempt to rebalance that deficit, right? They're like, I'm going to binge eat sugary food because I'm just exhausted and I want to feel the hit of having energy for half an hour. Even if I, even if afterwards I kind of know it's going to slump again, I can always have another hit. Like, or I'm going to, you know, mainline coffee, like three espressos in a row, just so that I can get that same feeling of having energy because I'm on, I'm on the deficit. Or to, um, you know, at the end of the day, instead of you know, going, joining somebody and going for a walk outside or doing an exercise or a yoga program or something, you elect to sit still, do nothing, tune out and binge watch a Netflix series because your body is trying to conserve energy. It's like you're on zero. The, the tank is empty. You've been maintaining it just with your stress levels all day long. So what you need is a bunch of sugar and sit still and don't use the en any energy, right? And so those habits, when you look at them that way, they become not blameless, but understandable, right? That you don't blame yourself for them. You're like, this is my body's attempt to fix itself from the situation that, that it's found itself in, right? So that can take a lot of the, the kind of blame and the personal kind of morality out of it a little bit as well. So I just thought of that when you were saying it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like, you know, a, a person living in poverty takes out a payday loan. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a choice. There's, if I want to survive, then this is the only thing I can do, even though I know it sucks. Nice. So you've got step one, which is, um, which was to understand yourself, right? Was to understand where you're coming from and what your motivations are. And then you had step two, once you're on that platform, you can think about cultivating empathy or compassion for other people. Is there one beyond that? Yeah. The, the next thing you want to do is, um, get permission. Right? Okay. So to like, we don't, you, you know, nobody wants, so if, if people are struggling with something, they're going to feel some shame about it. Hmm. Right? They're already not feeling so good. So if you just say, hey, can I help you with this? Hey, I notice X. Hmm. Uh, I have some advice for you. Or yeah. why don't you eat uh, an apple instead of that donut right now? <laughs> like that's, that, you know, that's how I'm helpful. <laughs> that's, it's, it's, it's staggering the, the, the visceral reaction that just gave me just hearing you say that, you know, I mean, I don't know, it's because knowing you're a plant-based advocate and a vegan and stuff like that. Like, whenever a vegan tells me I should eat an apple instead of a donut, I'm like, I wasn't going to eat a donut, but now I am. Only if it doesn't have an apple filling, though. <laughs> yeah, like, make sure there's no five a day in there. I don't want to, I just want hundred percent artificial ingredients just to spite you for saying that to me. <laughs> And we all have that that re that reaction. So to get around that, um, you know, the thing I recommend is empathy. Mm -hmm. right? Looks like you're really, you know, say something that the person can agree with. It looks like you're really struggling to uh, take care of yourself these days. Mm -hmm. That must be hard. Or yeah, you know, it seems that you know this is all sort of Chris Voss. Sure. Right. It, it seems it, like it seems like third person objective. I'm not saying it and you're not saying it, but from somebody on the outside, it might appear that you're having. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, or, you know, very often we want to like there's various scenarios in which we can we can intervene. One is the person is just complaining to us and they're not asking for a solution from us or trying to solve it. They're just pissed off. And yeah. They're just, you know, this is this is the classic like complaining about somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what I want to say is, well, you know, you're probably contributing just as much as they, right? <laughs> yeah. And we go, oh, that's, that sounds really frustrating. Mm -hmm. So to empathize, not with, not to accept their story or their, mm. view, because the minute you accept their story, you're useless. Mm. You know, you, your, your um, benefit in this conversation is that you have, a separate perspective that's uh, that's that's more generous than theirs about the situation. So you know you but you want to empathize with with their feeling, with their experience of it. Mm. That, must, that must really infuriate you, right? And then then we're we're talking polyvagal safety. Mm. You and I are on the same team. I've validated your experience, if not your perspective or. Is it rubber stamped your strategy? That's that's a key 
distinction there, I think, is that you can agree with somebody's perspective without, I'm sorry, you can kind of validate somebody's experience, spirits and perspective and strategy without agreeing with all of it wholesale. You can be like, it's true that that's frustrating, right? It's a, I agree 100% that it, you're struggling, that it's true, and this is not a situation that you want to be in. We both believe that right now, right? And that's where you start from. But as soon as you start going in with expressing your how you disagree with the whole thing and like, or you resent it or do you know what I mean? It, 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 you can kind of see when somebody's expressing contempt. They don't even need to tell you, right? You can see it in the eyelids. And you can, I have a friend, uh, Terry Vaughan, who teaches body language. He's a former, um, you know, British SAS guy. Really amazing. And he, he released a video last week just on like, he goes, if you could recognize this one expression, facial expression, it will probably get you further in like relationships and business life than anything else. And that's the lowered eyelids of contempt, right? When somebody starts talking to you and you're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then they do that thing while they're talking to you, just a little bit of lidding, you know, as they go through. And if you can recognize that expression, you don't need to be like a, you know, Tim Roth, lie to me, micro-expressions expert to recognize that just like, oh, they kind of despise me right now. And they just told me that with it. And they can keep talking and they can keep doing things. And sometimes we recognize that and sometimes we don't, right? But I thought it was a really valuable lesson. I thought it was a really good one. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is fascinating. I really like that you've got like a stepwise progression towards this in the same way of, you know, attacking the problem of physical defense or stress. It's the same kind of thing. It's like fix yourself, like understand your part first, then attempt to feel them, feel or understand them, right? Feel, understand what their situation is, what stresses are applying to them, why they fear this, why it makes them angry, what motivates them, and then attempt to make a connection starting with like the validation, you kind of give them a little bit of feeling of safety and support. And then from there, you can start to suggest things, presumably, or steer them in directions that they might accept instead of like just offering them something like a like a present or a hammer, right? And then hoping that they'll receive it in good spirits. Like it help, Does that then help them to understand that whatever it is that you say, even if it's misguided, frankly, or even if it comes out the wrong way, that you're doing it from a place of good intent, right? It helps them to assume good intent in you rather than all the other things they might assume coming into the conversation. I think so, although it's still way too early to give advice. Like, okay, you, cool. You, know, you create all that wonderful rapport and lose it in a second. Okay, right? yeah. Like it's easier to, it, it takes a lot longer to build the relationship than to destroy it. Gotcha. So are there, are there steps beyond this? Am I leapfrogging from step one and two to, to, to 12? <laughs> this is my problem. <laughs> oh, at this point, when, when you have empathized mm. and they have taken it and they're like, yeah, that's right. Right. Another good Chris Vostism. Like, oh, I feel understood. Mm. There's a magic question that can turn it around. It's like, would you like some help thinking through this? Hmm. Like, that's the permission question. But you have to do all the other stuff first. Mm. Okay. Right? Yeah. So it's not, or let me tell you what to do, or I ha even I have an idea. It's, would you like some help thinking through this? So I'm explicitly partnering. I'm not, I'm not setting myself up as any kind of an expert. Hmm. Okay, you're, you're setting yourself up as a facilitator or somebody that's just going to help give an outside perspective so that they can figure out the problem, right? Yeah, well, just, just I'm going to be your friend. You want, you want to talk this through, hmm. right? When they say yes, then you can start going to work. That's great. That's, re that's really quite powerful, I think, right there. Just that one question, you know, just getting around to because they're, they're completely within their rights at that point to say no, right? They're, they have the power. You give them the power to say no in that instant, right? Like, would you like some help thinking through this? Like, not really, not from you. <laughs> no, they can do that at that point and they can walk away. But if they give you the yes, then, then that's it, right? Then you can, you can build on that. Right. But the thing is, we, you know, we want, we, we're afraid of giving them that power. But they already have that power. Mm. We're, we're hanging on to the illusion of any sort of, power or control. We don't actually have it. Mm. And, and the worst time is when you think you do, right? When it's your kid or an employee, someone where you have positional power and you're like, oh, I'm going to fix them because I have positional power. Mm. In, in nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg has this saying, you can, you can make them um, wish they had, but they'll make you wish you hadn't made them wish they had. Yeah. I've definitely experienced that with my four-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably as early as this morning as recently as this morning so yeah definitely okay so um 
So question on this one. What if you, you're getting stuck at step two, right? You've, you think you've identified your own motivations that might lead you astray and might send you blundering into asshole territory, right? You realize that you've, you've maybe come at it with a little bit of anger or a little bit of irritation and you, you've kind of flattened that out and you've tried to kind of um, make clearer your intent both to yourself, right, before you start doing anything and then to the other person. But you're really having trouble with the empathy part. Do you know what I mean? Like you just yeah. cannot see how somebody gets to be 500 pounds. Do you know what I mean? Or you can't see how somebody gets to stress themselves out that much. Like how can you back yourself into that kind of corner and just be so obsessed with money or work or something that you're willing to sacrifice everything else and your family and things. How do you, how do you get over the empathy hump? If you're really, if your, your experience of life is so completely different from theirs that you just find it extremely difficult to start empathizing. Yeah, well, it's not just getting over the hump once. It's like mm. when we're grappling, I have to remember to drop my shoulders every three seconds. Mm. Right? So it's not like, oh, I've, oh, oh, that's, that's solved. Now, you know, throw, throw whatever you want at me. My shoulders are good now. Right? So, yeah, when we, I mean, I mean, at, at the base level, there are, practices of empathy and just like you know if i want to be able to hold my breath for four minutes i can't just decide to do it one day so that you know we can we can practice thinking about other people i mean you know reading fiction for me is a great empathy you know empathy thing watching certain types of of tv or cinema where mm -hmm. i see stories and i get the full picture you know i have an exercise where i look at anyone and i imagine them as a baby like Donald Trump as a baby is adorable and innocent. Mm -hmm. and was he though? Was he though? Was he though? <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll get off of that. <laughs> Probably snatching sweets from people. And so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I take your point on that. One. There was um, there was a specific exercise that I came across recently. It was in some, I think, some book on psychoanalysis or something, or um, on you know counseling tactics for people and things like that. Um, and it was a really interesting thing. And it was to like literally, I don't know if you come across this one. Apparently, it's quite an old one, but I don't know why it took me this long to, to find it. But it's when you're having trouble kind of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, you literally put yourself in the room with two chairs in it, like literally two chairs, right? One, you sit in a chair and you put an empty chair opposite and you sit in one chair and you say, and you just start saying all the things to the person. Like, I do not understand how you can do this to yourself. Like every day, you know that you don't do well when you eat these foods. You know that if you don't get enough sleep, that it makes you angry and you wake up moody and then you take it out on me and everybody else. You know that um, you have a, a weak spot when it comes to being criticized as a positional authority. And, and yet you put yourself in situations where that happens all the time, where you bully people and, and goad them to question your authority. And then you get angry and then there's a, somebody gets fired, right? Or whatever it's going to be, right? You know that you do these things and it, and it irritates the hell out of me that you do that, right? It's like, I don't think you need to be doing that. You need to do better. So you get to say all the things that you're saying <laughs> you shouldn't say to them. Do you know what I mean? Like you just kind of get out of your system and you're like, blah, 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 blah. And you kind of say that and you're like, and this, and, and in doing so, you're actually clarifying you, what you said in the first instance, like your, your half of this relationship and the, the, the place of anger or motivation, emotional motivation that, that's making you want to change the other person so much, right? Especially if it's not your job, right? And you're just taking it upon yourself to do it. Um, so it clarifies that from one thing. But then the key part is that from there, you literally get up, walk to the other seat, turn around, sit down, and you answer questions on behalf of the other, the other person. So if you're, if you're doing Donald Trump, you know, like you, you'd be like, it just really annoys the hell out of me that, you know, you don't seem to care about people. You're willing to trample the Constitution. You're willing to do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. Whatever you think of Donald Trump, right? These are the kinds of questions that I would ask him, right? Um, but then Trump gets to sit there and you have to be him, right? You turn and you sit in the chair and, and you're like, plenty of people love me. Like, I don't know why you hate me so much. Plenty of people think I'm fine. And I'm not the only corrupt politician in America, right? There's plenty of others who are opportunists who, you know, like don't care for everybody all the time and just go for their product. Why are you singling me out for, for special treatment, you know? So he gets to kind of give his defense in a sense. And then you sit sit there, go back into your other seat and then not argue with him, but say like, okay, I, I accept that. There are other corrupt people. There's other people and not everybody hates you. So why should I? And blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, maybe it's because when you act like a con man or you act like in a way that seems callous, it reminds me of myself when I could be a bully. And I hate that. 
You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it triggers something. It reminds me of a time when I did that to somebody. And I, it, it's uncomfortable to me to watch you do it because it's in full view. Do you know what I mean? And then you go back and sit down and then Trump's like, well, that's your problem, loser. Right. And then he leaves and then you're sat there and you're like, OK, now. So I just owned my part in that anger and what's going on in that little circle. And I've also made it a lot clearer as to what I think the issues are like a lot clearer, not just all of the things like I can't stand you and your whole face and all of your behavior. Right. But exactly what it is that needs to change, if at all. Right. Kind of that way. And then it, that helps you to kind of come back to the conversation that you haven't even had yet. It, it, like you've already had it out a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Maybe you've come, maybe this is an old one that I'm completely naive for never having found it. But I, I think it's a really interesting, valuable exercise. Yeah, no, I took I took notes. It might end up in the book. <laughs> cool. Nice. Yeah, no, I think that's 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 beautiful, um, because it 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 in you know just the physicality of moving to another chair and embodying another person is is part of that exercise. It's part of doing your push-ups. Yeah. But the you know, the other thing I was thinking about the empathy thing is very often we have a long history of screwing this up with people, right? Mm. Like if I'm trying to get someone to lose weight and I have done it poorly, I have to come in and own that hmm. before I can, I, I can't just pretend like, oh, I'm doing this new thing and it's going to work. And you're not going to have any residual resentment of the way I you made you feel terrible for 300 times already. Hmm. So to come out, so, and, and, and doing that can be very hard hmm. because it's vulnerable. But the, but the truth is, it's also, you know, it's true. If, if we, you know, we need to own things, it's a true thing. We're saying, hey, you know, I know I've been a dick about this in the past. I really want, you know, it's been really hard for me. I really care about you. And I've made things worse in a lot of ways. And I really apologize for that. Hmm. It has to happen well in advance, um, you know, to sort of prove yourself. But the, and that kind of vulnerability, and we can also, in the middle of a really good conversation, you can trigger me, and then I'll blurt out something stupid again, hmm. like, "Oh, we're not making the progress I thought we were going to make," or "You didn't say yes when I asked if you want to think this through," and then I'm going to a zinger is going to come out of my mouth before I can stop it. Hmm. At that point, too, to own, "Oh, I'm I'm really sorry. That was that was completely uncalled for and inappropriate, and I feel bad for having said it. Please accept my apology." Yeah, that's, that's hard to do, isn't it, in the moment, in the same way that it's hard not to react with tension or with reactivity to somebody else's stress state, you know, like, um, or violent state, you know, so it's, it's, it's very hard to, to be bigger than both of you, you know, we like to, to be the, to, to be strong enough to, to let that fall on you, you know, before you continue, that's, it's a difficult, but it's a really valuable skill to cultivate, I think, it's like some of the best arguments I've ever had, if there can ever be said to be such a thing, arguments and i've literally like written notes to myself in the journal afterwards like always do this like the point at which you back down acknowledge your own part in things restarted the conversation and then it got to a really good place and the person actually liked me at the end of it right it's like always do this and then about one in three i don't right and, <laughs> and i forget to do it and i read back through it and it does it again i write it in the journal i'm like i should remember to do that it's like well, at some point it's going to stick you know maybe i just have to have an argument with a like a periodic review so i have to have an argument today tomorrow then in four, two days four days eight days i think if i do that like 32 times probably it will stick in my head and i'll actually freaking get it through my dumb english irish skull <laughs> there's a um a teaching in uh, rabbinic judaism that's you know the, the the line that's repeated the most often in the bible and the jewish torah is do not mistreat the stranger for you are strangers in the land of egypt it's like 30 mm. And the rabbis ask why, and they say, because that's the hardest one. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Because I realize we're wrapping up on time here, but it's coming to this conversation beforehand. And this, I really love how it's kind of surfed the waves of things. And this, it's revealed some really nice things about your book. So and I'm really looking forward to reading uh, your book now. Um, so, what's, so again, it's, it's you and Peter Bregman. Is that right? The uh, management consulting expert. Yeah, he's a you know, let's say an executive coach, leadership. He works with leadership, leaders, leadership teams. And yeah, it's large. I mean, it's basically, it's his methodology. Um, he was my coaching teacher back in 1999 and has been ever since. So, you know, I've I've been taking the methodology and applying it to personal stuff, to health, to to habits. He's in the executive corporate sphere. Yeah, uh, 
I listen to his podcast. It's excellent. It's his Redmond Leadership podcast. It's really, really good. He's a, he goes way beyond just like business and leadership. He goes into deep issues of dealing with the self and how that, I love it. It's a good one. Thank you. And you and he uh, both podcasted uh, Levels Health within a day of each other. Oh, right. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. And that, so that comes out in the, in the summer or something like that, or later on in the year? The book? Yeah. Um, we have, I think it's uh, September 7th. Okay the date but um you know the manuscript's due in like three weeks and okay <laughs> so I'm, I'm keeping you from it right now so. <laughs> i'm very interested to see how that's going to happen <laughs> but, well i'll have to get you and peter maybe on there like to talk about it when it comes out i think that'll be really good like afterwards so that's part of your press junket was going everywhere you can do Systema for life along with abc you know <laughs> so i wanted to ask you so that, you know so this this part of the conversation hmm. um, has been about not being an asshole when you want to change other people yeah but, other areas and i you know i know stories of of you in conflict um using your skills to reduce conflict Hmm. so i wanted to kind of explore that before we go yeah i mean yeah i guess i mean for, for what what things i have learned that have worked either by experience or kind of distilled knowledge that i've learned from other people that just seems to keep repeating itself again and again. And it's interesting that some of the things that you've said have kind of dovetailed with some of these kind of these few principles that you've got, right? And one of them, obviously enough, um, is similar to what you just said with the the, the rabbinic, um, the Judaistic, Judaistic precept of like, um, you know, treat us street train strangers well because you don't know when you're going to be a stranger. That idea. So like, or biblically, you know, do unto others as, as they as you would have them do unto you, right? The, and it's the golden rule. You see it throughout all of the world's, most of the monotheistic religions, at least, and, and a bunch of the other ones as well. It's just like, you don't know when it's going to be you, so you should treat other people like you would like to be treated, right? And I think that's a good precept, and it and it starts to get at the problem in that at least it reminds you not to treat people meanly because you don't want anyone to treat you meanly, right? To be, to not give you the benefit for the doubt, just to bully you, to shout you down, to not listen to you. You don't want any of those things for yourself. Very few people do, unless they're submissive personalities who like to be spanked. I don't know, maybe, but but most people don't. Right? Most people they like to be um, bullied or beaten into submission, kind of that way, right? So you shouldn't do that to other people. That's a fairly fundamental thing. But I think wrapped in within that is you actually have to understand how they want to be treated before you can do that. I think that something that's misleading about that that uh, admonition is that you might want to treat other people like you would treat yourself, but you could say something like, I don't want any government handouts. I don't need any government handouts. I want everything to be, you know, merit-based and I just get what I deserve. Right. But that doesn't really put you in the same mindset as somebody who's, you know, lower on the socioeconomic spectrum has never had the same opportunities as you and has the right in some ways to be treated differently because they didn't get the leg up. They didn't get the head start that you got. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I want people to treat me fairly, but fair might mean something else if you're talking to somebody who's in a very different situation, right? Or they're discriminated against because the color of their skin or where they came from or whatever it's going to be, right? Not when they get open that whole can of worms, but you have to understand who you're talking to before you can even think about how they would want to be treated, not just how you want to be. So I think if you get too wrapped up in that one phrase, you can be like, I'm going to treat everybody the way that I would treat me, right? And I think that's a mistake because not everybody wants to be treated the way that you would treat yourself, right? And actually we treat ourselves, you know, system of practitioners, martial artists, as coaches, we can be really hard on ourselves, right? We can we can put ourselves through things that we wouldn't want to put other people through. So why would, you know, I can't start a coaching session on stress and be like, let's begin with 10 gallons of freezing water over the head and holding a push-up position for 15 minutes, right? That's not going to get, that's how I treat myself, <laughs> but it's not how I want to treat other people, right? So there's a, there's a break there. So. My love language is arm bars. Say again, sorry. Love language is arm bars. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so that's the first thing. So as a basic precept, it works. But then everything that you've said about understanding other people, putting yourself in their shoes and empathizing is like the subtext of that. The second one is kind of be mindful, right? Um, just be mindful of yourself, like express mindfulness. And um, so just be aware of how you might be triggered by phrases or words, how you might, um, how your body is reacting in the moment. Right. That on a cognitive level, we might be like, I need to steal this problem. I've been there before. I can talk to people. But just on a visceral level, your body might start to show signs of protecting itself or aggression or taking up space. You know, all of these kinds of things which will set somebody else off. And if you're not aware of those changes to your breathing, to your physical structure, 
um, to the way that you're positioning yourself and holding yourself, you might send the wrong message. Your face is saying one thing and your entire body is saying something different. Like Chris Voss has talked a lot about this, right? And other people as well. So you have to make sure that your body is congruent with what it is that you want to express. So you start by relaxing on a deep level and then you practice getting good at being mindful about your body, right? So you express mindfulness and you attempt to extend that mindfulness as much as possible to other things, right? You, you carry out your day maintaining mindfulness of how people are feeling, how you're coming off to other people, that kind of stuff, right? But again, there's a caveat to that. I think there's a point where you can go past that and mindfulness just becomes like a, like a trope. You know, you spend all of your time trying to be perfectly mindful and stay in a perfect state all the time. And then you irritate the crap out of people just being so alert, you know, in some way, or you kind of make people... I know, well, edgy or something, or, or or people you annoy people by being super calm and guru-like in their presence all of the time. You know, one of one of my um, distance meditation teachers is a guy named Adyashanti, and he talks about there is nothing less natural about somebody trying to eat mindfully. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I've tried that one a few times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what, what we're looking for is a natural state. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I don't think you have to over practice it. I don't believe that you have to be mindful 24 hours of every single day, right? I think it's natural to slip in and out of things and to be reminded, you know, you can, you can spend more time in that than less and you can be jolted back into it by something and, and set up things to that, that end, but you don't want to over, oversubscribe. And, and then onto the third, which is don't be a fanatic about anything, right? And this is something that Vladimir says in Systema. It's something that neuroscience tells us most of the time that if you come to a fervent belief that your way of doing things, whether it's um, dieting, whether it's stress relief, whether it's fighting, whether it's whatever it is that you're management, you know, whatever it is, if you think you've come upon the golden formula that works for everything and you're fanatical about how much good it can do in the world, right? It doesn't matter whether you're subscribing to a religion or whether you're subscribing to like a, an economic system or whatever it's going to be. Taking anything to fanaticism is always bad. Right. It doesn't matter what it is. You can absolutely guarantee you will ruin something, even the best of things, by being fanatical about it. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. It's like do unto others, but understand what other means. Right. And don't otherize people too much as you do that. Um, stay mindful, but don't be a maniac and and don't be a fanatic about any of these things. Right. You, you have to stay human throughout all of these interactions. And I think those three things can carry you a long way towards not being an asshole. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and I, and I find that something that's very trustworthy for me is how I'm feeling. Mm. Like, you know, being superior to someone else and angry, when I check in, when I get mindful about that, it doesn't feel so good. Yeah. As opposed to feeling connected, feeling generous, feeling grateful, feeling joyful, feeling useful. Mm. There's, they're, they're, they're abiding. Yeah. Pleasure. In the same way that junk food isn't as filling as, as satisfying as a great conversation or a cuddle. Yeah. I'd like to become aware of what's um, you know, what's our real food. What's truly nourishing to Yeah. Excellent. I'll leave it with that. I think that's a great closing thought. I've got nothing more to add. So. All right. Well, thank you. This has been awesome. Thanks for uh, for helping me articulate some of some of the book. I kind of yeah. Excited to go back and keep banging my head against the keys. <laughs> I hope so. It's a motivation point. <laughs> All right, pal. Take care. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Systema, please visit us online at www.ncsystema.com.